I was in 12th grade. My dad pastored a little Bible church in southern Michigan, and my high school history teacher had hired um, about five of us boys out of our history class to meet at his home and pick rock out of some fields. He taught full-time at our high school. His name was Mr. Bloom. We liked Mr. Bloom. And he had a little hobby farm on the side. He had 20 or 30 acres that he farmed. And in southern Michigan there, the winters are bad enough that the frost heaves up the stone and the rock through the ground. And he, Mr. Bloom had plowed and disked this field. And he realized that he had quite a bit of rock that was coming up. And so he hired a group of us high school boys to meet him there and pick rock one afternoon. And uh, I enjoyed that kind of work. I had worked on a dairy farm. I still was working on a dairy farm at that time. And we came out and we had a good time. And the boys ended up throwing dirt clogs at each other and picking rock. And, and I, my commitment to work at the dairy farm kind of showed itself there that day. And I worked pretty hard for Mr. Bloom, wanting to please my teacher. And he was paying us. And I was sensitive to that. And at the end of the afternoon, when we were done picking rock, he met us in his backyard. He had been driving his farm all H and pulling his trailer. And we got all done and unloaded several trailer loads of rocks and cleaned up this field. And the boys kind of gathered around him under a tree in his backyard and he got his checkbook out and we, he wrote checks for us. The boys took their checks and left and I was the last one there. And he looked at me and as he was writing the check, he looked up and he said, Van, you've really worked hard for me today. I'm going to pay you a little bit more. I felt really good about that. <laughs> I mean, after all, say the word for me. It was only fair. How many of you think that that was only fair that I would get paid a little bit more since I worked a little bit harder, accomplished it? Raise your hand if you think that I should have gotten paid a little more. Because the harder you work, the more you should earn. The longer you work, the more you should, right? Now, everybody who raised your hand, I'm warning you, you might not like our story today. <laughs> We have a most interesting story that our Lord teaches from Matthew chapter 20. It feels good to me to say, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. I'm enjoying our studies in Matthew and we're working our way through this great gospel. And in chapter 20, we're going to find that really uh, the chapter break is in an inconvenient spot. And so where the uh, scholars who broke down our Bible into chapters and, and verses... Um, really, this is a continuation of what our Lord is teaching. If you have your notes nearby and a pen handy, that'll probably be helpful to you as we work our way through uh, this fascinating story. Our Lord, you know, is a master storyteller. And this is an interesting story. And I, I, I think it's possible that some of you, when you hear this story, might say, I don't know if I've ever heard that story before. I don't know if I've ever preached on it before, and I haven't heard too many sermons on it, and it's a little bit of an odd story. And that's part of the reason why our Lord taught it, because He wants to drive home some important lessons to us. Going to have a little surprise in this story, a little pop to it. It's not going to end quite the way you think it should end. And our Lord is going to teach us some lessons about what it's like to live in His kingdom and live for Him. The first thing you'll see on your notes is that, Roman number one, is that we need to know that Jesus is telling a story. This is a story, and as our Lord often did, He told stories that his, the common man there could relate to uh, and, and have uh, spiritual and heavenly understanding of His words through an illustrated 
earthly, common, everyday story. Let's read our story. Here's our story right from the mouth of our Lord Jesus as he teaches his disciples. Chapter 20 of Matthew, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go out into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will pay you. I want to stop right there for a minute and make sure we have a a proper understanding of what's happening here. Okay, so Jesus is just telling a story. Now, don't get bogged down in the story by the fact that he, because what's going to happen is the foreman, the master has, uh, has given permission to the head of the vineyard, this farm that he has, to go and get employees. And he's going to go back and forth throughout the day, and you're going to get hung up saying, well, why is he doing that? Don't worry about that. Jesus is building to a point in the story where he wants to make a, make a point. What you need to understand in this story is that in this culture, and the people who were listening to Jesus would have readily understood exactly what was happening, uh, many men didn't have full-time work. And so they would gather, even before daylight, down, say, at the town square, and the landowners, and especially the seasonal work, when there's evidently time to work in this vineyard, either harvest or pruning or whatever they were doing in this vineyard, he knew, the, the foreman of the vineyard knew where to go downtown, where he he could find laborers who had gathered even before dawn, and there he could get workers to take out into his vineyard. That was common. And in fact, some of these men, if they didn't get work for that day, it was that day that they would have gotten paid that they would be able to go home and buy bread for their family and feed their family. It's why in that culture, they would have really understood what our Lord taught when he taught the disciples how to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Because it was a day-to-day thing, and these employees, these workers were there. So not only that, you need to understand that this denarius, this amount of money, uh, was an acceptable amount of money, was the common going rate for day labor. So if you work a day, you would get paid a denarii. That was a fairly common going rate for a day's work. It is interesting to note in the story that those who were there at daylight... All right, and we're early on, and the foreman finds them. It says that they, they made a bargain. They made an agreement, and they agreed together that they would work for the denarii for that day. Now, there's one other part of the story as we reread this part and, and pick up the rest of the story that you need to understand. Okay, so a day was basically 6 in the morning till 6 at night. And so probably even before dawn, these workers, these laborers were there. Thankfully, a foreman came along, wanted to hire him for the day. And now we notice that the master, the, the, the foreman of the vineyard is going to go back and forth throughout the morning. So it's going to say at the third hour. So if they started working at 6 a.m., the third hour then would be 9 a.m., the sixth hour would be noon, the ninth hour is going to be mentioned, that's 3 in the afternoon, and then even the 11th hour is going to be mentioned, that's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So kind of have that in your mind. Here we go back to our story. After verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Notice there's no bargaining. It's just whatever is right, I will give you. 
So they went, and going out again about the sixth hour at noon, and then the ninth hour, 3 p.m., he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, 5 p.m., he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages. And here's where Jesus has a little surprise. Beginning with the last up to the first. That's a key phrase because this is partly what Jesus is illustrating in this story. That the last shall be first. Verse 9, And when those hired about the eleventh hour, 5 p.m. came, each of them, imagine this, received a denarius, a day's wage. Say it with me. That's just not fair. Don't you feel that? So did the day laborers. Now when those hired first, verse 10, came, they thought they would receive more. I mean, can you imagine? The word trickles back the line. Here the laborers are lined up. The foreman is paying out the denarii. And and they get a denarius for working for an hour. And the the mind begins to whirl. Well, if if he gets a denarii for an hour, uh, I work three hours. Maybe I get three denarii. I work 12 hours. Maybe What is this guy doing? This is a good day. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns the story so that everybody's justice meter kind of flips. And we say it again, that's just not fair. Well, they, upon receiving it, verse 11, they grumbled at the master. Some of you with the NIV, it talks about uh, had an eye of envy or they envied. Um, the green-eyed monster of envy dwells silently within all of us, doesn't it? And the word that's in the original Greek that's translated in our ESV as they grumbled, the word for grumbled, translated from Greek into English, translated in your NIV as they envied, the idea is they were dissatisfied and they murmured. It's an onomatopoeia in Greek. It's, you know, that's a word that sounds like what it is. Murmur, 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 grumble, 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 moan. Moan. It sounds like what it is, and that's what it's translated. Grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Let me remind you what I've done for you. Let me remind you that I was here at daylight. Let me remind you, master foreman of the vineyard, that I worked harder than anybody else. Let me remind you that I should get paid a little bit more than everybody else. And I'm really struggling to understand how you started with the last and made them first. He goes on and the master replies and he says, verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? What's he supposed to say? And he just has to shut it down and go home. And then Jesus says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Isn't that an interesting story? 
Now, it's not without its interpretive challenges. And, and so as we go back to our notes, let's try to understand a couple things about it that I think will help us unfold what it is that Jesus is teaching. Because you'll notice if you continue to read in the text that our Lord never explains the story. He expects the listener to understand it. He's going to actually move on with a prophetic statement about his death, his burial, and resurrection that is impending. But he doesn't explain the story. He doesn't really give nuance of the story. And, and, and it looks like we just jumped right into the middle of it. And indeed we did. As I said earlier, the chapter break, chapter 20, really it's not a good place for it because it makes us believe that something new has begun. And really I believe that Jesus is answering a question that was asked in chapter 19. Now the interesting thing about this, and this helps us understand our passage here, is that Jesus in telling this story is answering a question. The the question about the question is, which question? Because there's two different questions in chapter 19. And which question you think Jesus is answering is going to have everything to do with your understanding of the interpretation of this parable, of this story. And so let's look at the question. The first question is the question about the rich young ruler that he asks. Remember, that's where we started here. They were gathered around. This young man runs up to Jesus and he asked an excellent question. Chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. Jesus answers it, remember, telling him to go sell everything he had, give the money to the poor, come and follow him. He was very wealthy, so it made him sad, so he refused to submit and surrender to Christ, so he took off, and the disciples are standing there watching, and they're like, wow, did you see that? And then they begin to think about what their reward might be, because they believe in their mind that they've done everything that Jesus told this guy to do. He didn't do it, but we have done it. And that leads us to our second question. And Peter's the one who asked this question. And it's in chapter 19, verse 27. And then Peter, after they watch this rich young guy walk away, Peter turns to our Lord and he says, in reply to this, see, we have left everything and followed you. We've left everything, Lord. We've been here since 6 o'clock this morning. We've been here since daylight. This guy tried to come in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and he wouldn't follow you. But we've been here since 6 o'clock this morning, so to speak. And here's the question. What then will we have? Lord, what would our reward be? We've left everything to follow you. We've done everything you told this guy to do. And he wouldn't do it. And our Lord answers the question in two parts. Jesus answers for the disciples immediately. For the disciples, he answers. And he says in verse 28, Jesus, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have followed me. You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I take this to be a prophetic statement about the millennial kingdom when our Lord in, in Jerusalem will sit on a throne of his father David, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And he's saying, okay, Peter, you want to know what you're going to get. You disciples are going to each have a throne, and you're going to be around my throne, and you're going to have a level of power and authority that is above everybody else because you have served faithfully. That's what you're going to get. You've been here since six o'clock in the morning. I'm going to give you a throne in my kingdom to come. But then Jesus answers a question for all of us. And he says, and everyone who has left, that's and everyone, that's us, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake to follow Christ, you have sacrificed at some level. All right. 
Mark chapter 10 verse 28 adds a phrase to that. That you have left everything for my namesake and the gospel. Mark says, and the gospel. Sam, I'm warning you, the gospel will get you in trouble. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it'll take you places you didn't plan to go. And, and it'll leave you behind everybody else as you, as you uh, serve Christ with that agenda. And Peter's pointing this out to him. All right, so which question is it? Now notice... Uh, that Jesus says, you will receive a hundredfold and you will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. He ends that section or he, he says it right there. Then he goes into his story. You see, if you're going to take this passage and Jesus is unfolding an answer to the question of the rich young ruler, what must I do to be saved? And that if you do all this, he says right there in verse 29, you will receive eternal life. Then in the story... You can make the master God, the foreman of the vineyard, Jesus, and the denarius is the gospel. The denarius is salvation. All right? And so the point would be that, okay, the disciples have already entered in. They have, they've been there with Jesus the whole time. And they've been with Jesus and they're going to get a denarius. But then this guy could come in at the last minute, at the third hour of the day, the ninth hour of the day, the eleventh hour of the day, and you get a denarius. It's all about salvation in that some people get there late. And he says, as, as evening was coming. Remember in the story, as evening came. And that speaks to the end of the age. And people are slipping into eternity and they're getting saved. And everybody gets their denarii. And salvation is equal. And I'm suggesting this morning that that's not the best way to understand this passage. If you let your eyes go to the bottom of the page, I'll tell you my reasoning. Okay? Um, I believe what the passage is talking about is rewards for faithfulness in serving in Christ's vineyard. Faithfulness in service or serving the Lord, following after Him as a disciple, and not worrying about what we're going to get paid. Okay, I think that's more the point of the passage. If you make the denarii a salvation item and that everybody is equal, see, well then, here's what you have to say. Number one, you can bargain for your salvation. Because didn't the early morning workers make a bargain? They made a deal. They made an agreement with the master of the vineyard, the foreman of the vineyard, so that they could end. So if you're going to say that denarius is salvation, then you have to say, well, they could barter for their salvation. They made an agreement. I don't agree with that. I don't think that holds up. Secondly, you would have to say, we don't work for our salvation. And the story is all about working for the denarius for the day. And we don't work for our salvation. It's not a work salvation. Salvation is always and only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? And the shed blood of Jesus Christ is what cleanses us from all sin. And our faith in that work is what saves us and transforms us. Thirdly, and this is maybe my, this is maybe the point that really stirred my mind to make me think, I don't think it's salvation. Because if the denarius is salvation, and he's talking about people coming in early on in following God, later in, our, later in the ages, maybe talking about uh, from, you know, following Christ, and then later on at the evening, at the end of the age, right before the millennial kingdom comes in, people get into heaven at the last minute. You have to say then that there will be grumbling in heaven or in the kingdom of God. There will be grumbling. I don't think there will be. I mean, let me tell you this, like this. And, and I've gotten better at this as I've gotten older and grown in, in grace, hopefully, and in Christ. 
But you know, I've gotten to where, I did this on vacation a lot, and, and I do it here, where I'll be, say, standing in line at Walmart, and there's a line and a wait, and so I'm just standing there watching, and I will see a person either in line or, or the, the person that's serving us, and, and my heart will break with compassion for that person. I will be able to see that that person has lived a very difficult life. I might recognize that that is not a very old person. And I can tell that, that people have been mean to that person. They maybe have their hair in their eyes. They've maybe colored their skin and pierced their skin. They've, they've done things that send messages about themselves. And, and I'm just spiritually profiling them. And sometimes I can almost cry. And I think, I wonder what people have done to that person. I wonder what men have done to that girl that she would look like that. All right, so if this is salvation we're talking about, I've been saved since I was six years old, and I'm proud of that. And I've never smoked a cigarette, and I've never pierced, and I've never tatted, and I've never done a ba 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 ba. And I get to heaven. And I look over and I see the master of the vineyard has told the foreman to let one of these pagans come in. And I'm going to say, what is that all about? Are you kidding me? They didn't serve you. They didn't serve the gospel. They just lived their life. And then at the last minute, somehow they understood the cross and that they needed their sin forgiven. And they slipped into heaven. And that, say it with me, is not fair. Will you say that? Absolutely you would not say that. Do you know that I would love it if all the pagans at Walmart or anywhere else will slip into heaven and I know they've been to the cross and the blood of Christ has cleansed them from all unrighteousness and I don't care how many tats they have. I don't care what they've done to their skin. I don't know how, care how they wear their hair. If they're in the presence of my Lord and Savior, my Master of the Vineyard, I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be so happy. And I hope they're there. And I've learned to stand in line and pray for God's grace to be poured out on them. I've learned to stand there and say, God, would you save that pitiful person? They don't even know that they don't know. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care if they come in at midnight and they only work one minute and he gives them a denarii. I'm glad to have them. Praise God. And I don't think that's what this passage is about. Otherwise, you have to say that we who came first... Or if Israel came first and they did grumble about the Gentiles coming in, you can argue that case. Or that this was the old covenant fighting the new covenant coming in. But the passage doesn't say anything about that. But Peter looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, what about us? Lord, what about us? We've given up everything. We've given up everything for you. Don't you think... That we, and so our Lord says, Peter, in my kingdom, uh, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And then he goes on and he tells a story about his kingdom. So that's the f- first thing you have to understand about this is that Jesus is answering a question. And I believe he's answering Peter's question. I hope that made sense. Number three, you need to understand that Jesus is illustrating a proverb. Jesus is illustrating a proverb. Notice how this is all tied together because he says in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. He then tells a story about how he reverses the pay and he puts the latecomers in the line first and he pays them equally and he made the last first and the first that came were last. 
That's what he's illustrating. And then, and he's just told that to Peter in answer to his response. And now, verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And he ends the story with that. It's all tied together. It's all about this vineyard master who has a different way of looking at things. And it's in response to Peter's selfish question, what about me, Lord? I've been out here since before daylight. I've given up everything. Don't you think I'm worth a few more bucks to you? Wouldn't that be fair? Fourthly, I want you to see that Jesus is making a contrast. In this story, we tend to think about it like our human employers or a union boss. And and so this is human values versus heavenly values. Human values versus heavenly values. Listen, if you're going to understand Jesus and you're going to understand what he's talking about, he's talking about a kingdom that's outside of this world. He's talking about a value system that that isn't in line with this world's value system. If you're looking for a master in Jesus that looks like the master that you have at work, you've got the wrong guy. Jesus is a different kind of master and he runs an upside down kingdom. And in his kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In fact, he even said, if you want to come into my kingdom, be Come like a little child. Everything about Jesus is upside down. Instead of being big and famous to come into my kingdom, you be a little child and come into my kingdom. Everything's upside down. When the world hates you, love them back. When someone hits you up inside the head and you turn the other cheek. That's all backwards to this world. It's all backwards. And so earthly values versus kingdom values are on display here. Earthly values versus kingdom values are on display here. I think also number five... Jesus is wanting to teach a lesson in response to Peter's question about attitude. He's talking about our attitude and service. Peter, we don't serve in the Lord's vineyard to make sure we're going to get paid the most denarii at the end of the day. That's not, it's about his attitude. He's also, I think, talking about ultimately the master's grace and generosity. He's talking about the master's generosity. You can trust this master. And after all, didn't you agree with me that we would just do one denarii for the day? So why am I unfair? I'm not unfair. You got your deal. And I will always hold up my deal. But if I want to be generous to these people, what is that to you? Are you going to begrudge my generosity? You see? And so I think that what we have here is a lesson to Peter. By the way, number four on that list on the bottom, I see that I omitted it. A lot of people will argue that this is about salvation, back to that point, that bottom list of why it's, I think it's about rewards and not salvation, is everything's equal. Everybody got a denarii and salvation is kind of equal for all people. But in the story, it wasn't equal, it was unfair. The whole point of the story is that brings up our justice meter and we don't like it, it was unfair. Because they got paid the same amount and, and you need to know that rewards are not fair. God, our just judge, one day all believers will stand before him and you will be, have a recognition and a reward for service in his vineyard. It will be a good thing. Not everybody will be treated equally. And in fact, we're going to have some great surprises because in that day we're going to see the last becoming first and the first becoming last. There's going to be some people with great reward and people like Pastor Van might be way in the back of the line by then. Because he's talking about the master of the vineyard here. Let's go ahead right to conclusion. I think you have the idea of the parable. That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's answering a question. He's illustrating a proverb. He's making a contrast and he's teaching a lesson about our attitude and his own generosity and his grace 
In conclusion, what do we get out of this? Number one, I want to suggest to you that our Lord is turning to Peter. And part of what his point is, is I just serve the Lord with joy, Peter. Serve the Lord with joy. And look at verses 8 and 9. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Do you think that the last really believe that they're going to get a denarii right there? They do not. They're hoping they can just get a few pennies that they can buy a little bread and get home to mama and feed the kids. And they got a denarii. Can you imagine the joy with which he left the line with his paycheck? So thankful. So thankful that the master gave him what he didn't deserve. A little bit of service that he did and God took care of him. He was faithful to him. And you notice that he didn't make an agreement. When the foreman went down and hired him, it just said, I'll pay you what's fair at the end of the day. They didn't have an agreement. He didn't know how much he was going to get. He said, I'll just be fair. Our Lord will always be fair. Secondly, I want you to see that we are to serve the Lord without envy. I think there's a lesson about envy in here. Serve the Lord without envy. Chapter 20, verses 10 through 12, we have this whole scenario where when the first ones hired start hearing about the ones that were last in the day get the denarii, they're envious and they grumble, grumble, grumble. And they say to the master of the house, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us. And we have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And then he replies, friend, I'm not doing you anything wrong. Just be quiet. As you know, when, when other people benefit and we don't, that's hard on us, isn't it? When other people are noticed and we are not, that's difficult, isn't it? When other people get an upgrade to first class and we don't, and there was no good explanation for that, what's that all about? And you say, they don't deserve that. I've been serving faithfully in this nursery for so many years and nobody pays attention to me. And then that person comes in and they play the violin and right away they get right up front and everybody's right there. Now what's going on here? This isn't fair. I don't understand why it works this way. Isn't it interesting how when other people have something that we desire, how difficult it is for us. Erwin Lutzer along this line tells a great story about being with his wife and going to, the grocery, going to a store with their like four-year-old grandson. And they bought for his birthday a beautiful battery-operated car that you ride in. You know what I mean? It's like the coolest thing you could ever have that you play with for like 15 and a half minutes. The battery's dead and then you go play with your sticks. Okay, it's like this battery-operated car. It is so cool, and he wanted it. He bought it for his birthday, and they paid hundreds of dollars for it, and they have it in the car, and the boy's in the back seat, and Mrs. Lutzer decided they better take something home for the younger child, and so they stopped, and they bought some balloons for her, the two-year-old. And when he got the balloons in the car, and they're riding along, the boy in the back seat with the battery-operated car threw a hissy fit because he didn't have any balloons. They didn't buy balloons for him. They bought a battery-operated car for him. And that's a lot how we are, isn't it? It's like we have so much in Christ. Sam did a good job of articulating it, didn't he? He said, when I was in 8th or ninth grade, I began to realize that Jesus died for me and, and, and that I'm adopted into his family and I'm seated in the heavenlies and I have newness of life in Christ. I'm just glad to be in the vineyard, man. I'm just glad I'm in and I have so much 
to be thankful for for being in, but I don't have those balloons. He's got those balloons and I don't have those balloons and you got the battery operated car and you're worried about the balloons. It's a little bit what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, don't worry. It'll all be fine. And we're to serve the Lord without envy and we are to serve the Lord with complete trust. Notice verses 14 and 15 as they continue to complain. Then the response from the master was, take what belongs to you and go. And I choose to give to this last worker. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You see, they didn't need, the last workers didn't make, an arra- didn't make an arrangement. They didn't bargain. They trusted the master. And the master turned out to be most generous. Peter says, Lord, what about me? Lord, what about me? I've served you so faithfully. What am I going to get out of this deal? Peter, be quiet and trust the generosity of the master. There's an old story that is perhaps worn out that I think wraps this up quite well and illustrates what I believe this passage is teaching in kind of a practical way. It's It's a story about a missionary and his wife named Henry Morrison. It's been told this way. It might be somewhat apocryphal at some levels, but a missionary named Henry Morrison, uh, returning after 40 years of faithful service to the Lord as a missionary in Africa, Henry and his wife were returning to New York. In those days, he had to bring a steamship. As the ship neared the dock, Henry said to his wife, Look at that crowd. They haven't forgotten about us after all. However, unknown to Henry, the ship also carried President Teddy Roosevelt returning from a big game hunting trip in Africa. Roosevelt stepped from the boat with great fanfare as the people were cheering, flags were waving, bands were playing, and reporters were waiting for his comment. As they observed, Henry and his wife slowly walked away unnoticed. Not one person had come to meet them. They hailed a cab, which took them to the one-bedroom apartment, which had been provided by the mission board. Over the next few weeks, Henry tried, but he failed to put the incident behind him. He was sinking deeper into discouragement and despair when one evening his wife said to him, Henry, this is wrong. This, or he, she, he said to his wife, this is all wrong. This man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody throws a big party and we give our lives in faithful service to God for all these many years, but no one seems to care. His wife cautioned him that he should not feel this way and Henry replied, I know you're right, but I just can't help it. It just, say it, it just isn't fair. His wife then said, Henry, you know that God doesn't mind it if we honestly question him. You need to tell this to the Lord and get this settled now. You'll be useless in his ministry until you do. Henry Morrison then went to his bedroom, got down on his knees, and he began pouring out his heart to the Lord. Lord, you know our situation and what's troubling me. We gladly served you faithfully for years without complaining. Lord, we were there at six o'clock in the morning. But now, God, I just can't get this incident out of my mind. After about 10 minutes of fervent prayer, Henry returned to the living room with a peaceful look on his face. His wife said, it looks like you've resolved the matter. What happened? Henry replied, well, the Lord settled it for me. 
I told him how bitter I was that the president received a tremendous homecoming, but no, not even one person met us as we returned home. When I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and he simply said, But Henry, you're not home yet. I don't know how the Lord wants to use this passage in your life. But know that we are a room filled with people with battery cars. We certainly need to quit worrying about other people's balloons. And we need to be filled with joy that the Master would bring us into His vineyard at any level, at any time. And we will trust His generosity at the end of the day. Lord, what's in it for me? Peter, you have a generous Heavenly Father. Just serve faithfully. Let's stand together and close in prayer. And so, Father, encourage our hearts and challenge us. Um, May your Holy Spirit prompt us and encourage us throughout the week as we reflect upon this passage. Thank you for our Lord, and even thank you for Peter's question. We thank you, Lord, that you are a generous God. You even give a hundredfold to those who deny themselves and will take up their cross and follow after you. Father, we do thank you for your salvation that is available and free to all people and that it It is available at all levels, at any time, early or late. Father, help us to be committed to the gospel. Help us to be committed laborers in your vineyard and to not be worrying today about what our reward might be tomorrow. We thank you for all of your great uh, care and how you sustain us and how you are generous and faithful to us even when we are faithless. Encourage our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.